What is up, ambitious listeners? If you're listening to this right after it was released or the day after, you'll know that today's episode is posted on a new day, Monday. So why? Well, Sunday night I kind of announced it, and this is how things will be from now on. So basically because NFL games, um, aside from Monday Night Football, are wrapped up by Sunday night, so Monday episodes can air that feature my recaps. And if you want more in-depth recaps, tune into the Fireside Football Podcast on Empire Sports Media with me and Brendan, a friend of the show. And we'll recap that a lot more there and recap each week's action. But on here, I do want to give like a brief uh, summary of the week's action. And that'll start next week, but it's the reason for the change, so just so you know. But this week's episode is entirely different from football. There's a little bit of a crossover as the guest and I talked a little Texas football. And today's guest, if you recognize the Texas theme, Cliff Hogg, friend of the show, a Big Brother contestant last season, a fan favorite, and now a Big Brother analyst in a sense. After adjusting to life after Big Brother and then the COVID pandemic, Cliff and I haven't had time to catch up, so we caught up on this week's episode and talked a lot of All-Stars. Before I air that episode, though, I do want to preface this next ad with a bit of a teaser that if you want to see uh, me in a show on Saturday, um, Sunday, and Friday, as you'll hear the phenomenal director Harold say in a brief second, and so many other phenomenal talents, check out this show because... I mean, I'm not the best actor, but the actors and actresses and the directors in this show are absolutely incredible, so you have to tune in. It's a virtual show. Um, Harold will detail the rest. So, yeah, without further ado, this is Harold Teig, a uh, lead director for Sullivan County Dramatic Workshop. The Sullivan County Dramatic Workshop presents the monologue show from Harold by Don Salinas, September 25th and 26th at 8 p.m. and September 27th at 2 p.m. It took Mr. Banks and Mrs. Peacock's drama class three long months to prepare for their monologue show, but barely a minute to throw all their plans out the window. From the couple staging their real-life breakup to the garden gnome thief confessing his crimes, everything that can go wrong will in this collection of hilarious tall tales. The show, co-directed by Hannah Vitti and Harold Ty, will be streamed online at Broadway On Demand. Tickets can be purchased for $7.95 by going to scdw.net and clicking the monologue show from hell button. All this is happening on September 25th and 26th at 8 p.m. and September 27th at 2 p.m. Visit scdw.net for more information. Sullivan County Dramatic Workshop, award-winning community theater since 1950. Yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's guest was one of America's favorite house guests last season on Big Brother 21. He finished in fourth place in a phenomenal performance. He has been a guest on this show before, a friend of the show, and a phenomenal stand-up human being. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Cliff Hogg. Cliff, how's it going, man? Well, it's doing great. Thank you for that intro. It's nice talking to you again, Dylan. I sure appreciate it. Well, of course. So what have you been up to? It's been almost a year since we last chatted. Hey, isn't that amazing? I, how time flies when you're quarantined and locked indoors. <laughs> uh, just like everyone else, just been trying to, to stay away from other people as much as possible. Yeah, you know, it's really strange. I, I got out of the house. I, I got to meet all these other Big Brother fans and just had a blast doing that. And suddenly we went into quarantine and and I've isolated myself as much as possible with my wife and uh, it was that's a little tough, but now I've got Big Brother and lots of live feeds to watch, so I've got a good excuse to be staying indoors and just watching the TV screen. So I want to get to that in a little bit, but I want to know, 
obviously, you know, you just touched on, you come right out of the house, you know, you have a little bit of time, you know, into the winter, and then boom, you're locked up again. And how has that been able to kind of navigate? Has it made you a little stir crazy? Well, I guess I'm used to it. I, I will say this. It's a lot better being locked indoors and quarantined with my wife as compared to, to the 15 folks I had in the house last year. Uh, they, they're, they're my big brother family, and I love them all and all that. But uh, I'd much rather be indoors here with my wife. And But, yeah, no, but having done it last year, I suppose I'm, I'm used to it a little bit. Uh, and certainly this time. I've got Netflix and TV and all kinds of media and everything else, so it's it's certainly a different situation. I, I don't have the isolation, uh, the being cut off from the outside world like we all felt like we were last year. So I, I never even thought about it like that until we just started talking. That Big Brother is almost kind of similar to the quarantine situation without, you know having contact with other people other than the 15 house guests, but there's kind of a similarity to it. So I guess in a sense, has it kind of been nice to catch up on life by being out of the big brother house, but also kind of being locked away in a sense from regular life? Yeah. I mean, in some ways it's, it's nice to, uh, uh, it's nice just to be, I'm, for example, I've been able to focus so much more just on big brothers, the new season and all that. <laughs> But from the other end of it, I really came out of that house thinking, okay, well, that was such a fun experience. Now I'm going uh, to meet people and, and do some things like that. But, but now I'm ready to kind of start life back up again and, and get back into a routine uh, mode. And, and that hasn't happened just because everything has been so crazy with the COVID and quarantines and all of that. So, uh, yeah, there's a part of me that enjoys uh, you know, the quarantine and all, but uh, in terms of being here with, with family and such, but I'm ready to get going. I'm ready to get back to the good old regular life and football and restaurants and everything else that I've been missing out on. Hey, look, we had NFL kick off this weekend, a little bit of college, some more coming back this coming weekend. It feels like a little bit of a sense of normalcy is coming back in terms of at least the sports world now. Yeah, we're getting there. Of course, I'm not going to talk about the first week because I'm a Houston Texans fan, and so uh, uh, we didn't start off quite as well as we wanted. But that's all right. Hey, it's still, we got football back. I was getting a little tired of watching the uh, uh, the chess tournaments and the, the soccer games from from republics over in Asia that I, I can't even pronounce. So yeah, we're getting back to the, the right direction. Well, listen, Cliff, I'm a diehard Jets fan, so as much as the Texans might not have been crazy impressive on Thursday night, the Jets were much, much worse this Sunday afternoon. I don't even know if you had a chance to catch any uh, any bit of that miserable action against Buffalo. Yeah, no, that's you can't. You tell some folks haven't had quite as much time to practice. But, you know, I'm not complaining because last year in the house, I knew I was missing the first part of football. I was begging. I was yeah, obviously, big Texas A&M fan. I was begging Big Brother, just give me the scores of the game, and they wouldn't tell me squat. So I had no clue until I got out how anything was going on with the college football world. So, yeah, I, so I, I have no room to complain this year. Now, in terms of A&M coming back, uh, talking a little sports here before we get into some BB talk with Cliff, but with A&M coming back, do you see that maybe there's a little bit of a playoff window because of the Big Ten kind of coming back potentially later and, you know, the disarray in other conferences? Do you see maybe an opening for Texas A&M to sneak into the playoff? Well, you would hope so, but actually we had quite the – we had a fantastic schedule before COVID interfered with it, and 
SEC changed some things up, and suddenly they added Florida to our schedule and, and some, some more difficult games. So, I don't know, it's going to be a tough one for us this year. Uh, but, hey, I'm, I'm an Aggie. I hold out hope every single year. And, yeah, I'm just glad. But, you know, I, I want us to be playing safely. As long as we can do it and, and not increase the risk dramatically of, of COVID and all that, I, I am glad we're playing. And, uh I'm sure people up in the Big Ten and Pac-12 are kind of wishing they were as well. But, again, at the end of the day, you got to be safe the way you do it. I agree, and, you know, safety is paramount in everything. So I do want to dive into Big Brother here now. As, you know, the COVID-19 process with Big Brother kind of made things a little weird because, you know, looking into what initially was supposed to be the cast, if you look back, you know, Josh Martinez, the winner of season 19, he was slated to be on the cast. There's rumors Dan Giesling, you know, Derek Lavasser, they were supposed to be a part of the cast. So with the way COVID-19 kind of impacted Big Brother, how would you say they did, you know, starting off, in terms of casting? I, I actually like it. And I've heard some people complaining about it, this and that. And there's always going to be you know, things that you wish you could see a little differently and all that. But I'm pretty happy with the situation, especially given that we did have the, the long sequesters for, for these people because of COVID. And, you know, we've all heard the rumors about people that may have tested positive or other reasons that maybe people made it on or didn't. But at the end of the day, I feel like the Big Brother folks gave us a, a, a pretty good range, uh, and that's what impressed me, I guess, more than anything else, is we didn't have any particular season just stacked with people that, that could have run the table. Uh, we got you know quite a ways back. You get Janelle and Keisha and some of the early folks all the way up to, to Nicole and David from my season. And you know, at one point I was hearing so many people from season 20 seem like there could be perhaps three, four people just from one season, and, and I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, no, I, I like the cast. I did not watch Kather uh, and Janelle when they played their, their first couple of seasons, so that was a nice little refresher uh, or, or experience to get to watch them play. It didn't last long enough. They weren't in there for very long, but I, I'm okay with this, the cast. Obviously, there's a few of the, the big ones that, that, for whatever reason, didn't make it in there, but it, it's hard. People do that show, then they move on, do new things with their life, and, and the idea of bringing people back, I think it's always going to be difficult. I mean, you look at Survivor, they brought back so many winners, but Survivor is only 39 days or so, whereas Big Brother is a much larger time commitment. And I think there's some people that we all would like to see play again that we'll probably never get just for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. And I wondered initially when they were casting that maybe they'd even dip down to a shorter season, not even necessarily because of casting, but because of COVID-19. And, you know, now as you say that, maybe that would have nailed a guy like a Dan or a Derek. But, you know, I'm pretty happy with this season. I think that all things considered, it's been a fairly good cast and a good array, as you said, of different seasons and different personalities. And talking about, you know, the different seasons, you just hit on Nicole, who was also a friend of the show and somebody you were incredibly close with and still are. Unfortunately, she was one of the first eliminations of this season. Now, somebody knowing her personally inside the house and getting to witness her gameplay firsthand last year, where did you necessarily think she went wrong that got her evicted so early? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, just just luck of the draw in some ways. She, she won the first little part of that opening night competition, but then that turned out to, to be a bad thing because it made her have not. Uh, so suddenly, suddenly she's eating 
slop, and apparently they this was the new slop and wasn't cooked that well and just did a number on everyone. Uh, but even beyond that, the fact that she wasn't able to sleep downstairs late night with everyone else, instead she was kind of segregated upstairs in the have-not room, I, I certainly don't think that helped her game. Uh, and then uh, there were some people around her. I, I think Kevin uh, had some misreads in terms of Janelle and, and Kayser and uh, uh, Nicole started, you know, I believed him when he when he said some things about, you know, that maybe they didn't have her best interest at heart, and it just all kind of crumbled crumbled from there. Uh, I think having worked with Nicole last year, she, she's very good at reading reading people and everything else, but I think coming into that house with so many people uh, and people who had been in the Big Brother world much longer than we have. So they had some connections and some knowledge of each other even before the season started. And I think all of that combined just put her at a, a big disadvantage that she just never could recover from. Now, I meant to ask you this before we get back to the gameplay. Last time you came on, I don't remember distinctly if you had had slop, but what was it like if you do recall having it or remember somebody else having it? Yeah, you know, I was lucky for whatever reason, and and I've heard the rumors on this as well. But yeah, we were only we only had two weeks of have not, and the first week I was an HOH. I was uh, I had the HOH, and the second week it was based on the people who did worse than the the competition, and I wasn't competing as the reigning HOH, so I never had the 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 opportunity to to be a have not. But I did try it. You got to have experience everything in there, and it was. It was about as bad as, as people uh, would expect. It was, I've always, I'd always thought, oh, it's just going to be bland oatmeal. And, and to some degree it was. It was the most bland, tasteless, uh, powdery kind of goop uh, that you could imagine. Now, short term, you know, I only tried it for, for a day. Uh, and during that time period, I could easily throw in some syrup and some things like that and make it a little bit better. Uh, but I think that that slop, it's, it's a twofold situation. One, it's, it's not the best tasting thing to begin with. Uh, but two, you can't eat anything except that. And so you lose out on a whole lot of other nutrition and everything. And yeah, this season, it seems like it really did, did even worse uh, as far as doing a number on these people. It, it did not look fun at all. So yeah, I, I had a whole lot of experiences while I was in the Big Brother house that being a have-not and going to the jury house were the two things that I didn't experience, uh, and, and I'm perfectly happy with both of them. <laughs> now, one thing about the slop that you just touched on is, you know, Tyler has been kind of struggling in terms of, you know, there was a rumor, and you you watch the feeds and cover them much more intently than I do. There was a rumor, you know, he lost a lot of weight. Do you think that's a correlation to slop, or do you think it's just, you know, Tyler just seems off, I guess, this year, and if you look at gameplay, and even mentally, it seems like. Yeah, he's, uh, I, and I'm not sure the situation. I, it may be, there may be a little bit of a little homesickness. I know he talks about Angela a lot, and I'm sure it's tough for him to step away and, and be back in that house again. And two, it's uh, uh, last time it seems like he, I, I don't know, the first time you do the show, you come in so new and excited and everything. And, and for a lot of people, not just Tyler in the house this season, it seems like a lot of them are just treating it more as a, as a job. They're just kind of drudging through, and uh, there's just not – not maybe the passion as much, and so if you aren't as excited to begin with, those days can run long and, and, and can really just 
drag you down. But you take all of that, and uh, and then I know in our house it seems like we all sat together, we fixed a lot of meals together, and uh, it, it worked pretty well. In this house, you've got a lot of people, you've got vegans, you've got a lot of different diets, and uh, it seems like people are all doing their own thing a little bit. And so, yeah, uh, he's, uh, I've watched the feeds and they've talked about these things like he's lost a lot of weight and he, he doesn't eat and all that. And, and he just hasn't seemed happy while he's in the house. So uh, I I don't know if this week will make it any better. It's certainly with him on the block. He, he's got to feel his back up against the wall again. So I don't know. We'll see if things change in the last half of this well, so yeah, that's something I wanted to talk about as well. Um, obviously, it's airing tonight, but for those that watch the feeds, um, this episode is coming out Thursday, so actually after either Tyler or Ian get evicted, but David used his disruptor power, pulled himself off, Danny nominated Tyler, and then subsequently Davon won the veto, pulled Kevin off, and now Ian and Tyler remain on the block. So it seems as though... First things first, between Nicole and Danny and some of the other house guests, it seems like it's kind of flipped a little bit a couple times somewhat, but it seems like the going notion right now is that Ian is likely heading out of the house, which is incredibly unfortunate. What is the kind of sense you've gotten, and what is the kind of, I guess, feel you have as somebody who's been in the house in terms of this scenario with the four nominations? Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I think Ian, unless something happens, and when people are listening, they'll know more than we do right now. But unless something weird happens, I expect Ian will be out the door, and and, and that's really unfortunate. Uh, when I auditioned for Big Brother, Ian was one of the people I mentioned that I really admired from a gameplay standpoint, just because he he won playing differently than people had in the past. And I've met Ian in person; he's a great guy and all. But uh, yeah, I think he's a little bit in trouble, and it's it, just because. You've got this alliance, the committee, those those six, and and they don't want to lose a number. And uh, I, I was a little bit surprised even to see Tyler go on the block in the first place uh, as a replacement for David. But uh, I, I I think at this point in time, uh, there's a lot of people that are kind of playing out of fear. I, in some ways, I was expecting to see some bigger moves this season, uh, and so far we haven't seen that. I think everyone is just. They're so worried about the other all-stars in there. They're playing out of a little bit of fear. As a result, uh, people aren't going to to do anything too drastic. It's, uh, you know, someone like Danny, uh, even though she's had some beef with Tyler uh, so far, you know, Tyler told Davon some things about Danny and all. Even with all that being said, uh, I think Danny still wants to play conservative enough to protect the numbers that she thinks she has. And so... As a result, I think Tyler is safe. I, Tyler and Ian are both threats. They're obviously much different threats, but Tyler's Tyler's a competition threat and and strategic threat as well. And there's a part of me that thinks, man, you've got him on the block and, and a valid excuse to do it. Get him out of here before things before he gets a chance to kind of recover from his mental funk and such and and start dominating this game. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think Ian is is going to be juror number one this year. And that's crazy to me because you just touched on this is All-Stars, and you'd expect to not see as much conservative play, but it's almost like... And maybe it's a respect thing that 
it's not as much when you come into a house fresh, there isn't as much a respect level because you don't know each other's games. But coming into this, you know how the other players are going to play. Even up to last season, you know, you saw how Nicole and David briefly played. But you you have a feel on how everybody's going to play, so you don't want to be the one, I think, to get a shot taken at and also to take the shot, which seems crazy to me. But And then you look at two people like Janelle and Kaser who... I think we're open and willing, and even a Bailey, to take a shot, and they never got the opportunity, and it's crazy that the aggressive, almost, players, the ones that would actually not play conservative, are the ones who are out of the house first. What kind of is the read you've gotten on that, that it seems like the best players are going first? Yeah, it's it's tough. I, Kayser, I've, I think that guy probably had as good a read on the house as, as anyone and yet, he, as you say, he never had a chance to, to do anything with that read or, or to bring enough people in. So much of this, of this game uh, just depends on, on some roll of the dice. I know Ian on night one said he has all the strategy in the world, but you got to have luck also. And I think even night one when Cody won the HOH, uh, because he was the person that was in power that first week, it, it really helped him consolidate kind of the new school, the, the newer players into a pretty tight alliance. <clears throat> Whereas if we had someone from the old school that had, had won that first week, you could have seen a completely different situation. Uh, but, yeah, because because you have that, and, and I think to some degree the, the new school players tend to play a little bit more conservatively, and, and the trend lately has been let's put a big alliance together and, uh, let's make sure we're safe through the first half of the game, and then we'll do whatever we have to do. And I think you saw that come into play, uh, whereas the old school, it seems like it was a little bit more of a free-for-all of, yeah, I'm just going to take my shot and I'm going to make it happen. And, uh, and because the old school players were didn't have the power in those first few weeks, everyone else gravitated the other direction, and, and we're still seeing those, the ripples uh, of that very first night and that HOH win that very first evening. And that's what I don't get even looking back to your last your season last year with you know the group that kind of ran the house headed up by Mickey and Jack and Christy, you know, that big group, and you mentioned it a number of times on the feeds and in the DR that at some point this group's going to implode, and ultimately it did, and it left, you know, very, very big ripples in the house, but I don't know where the notion started. I mean, looking back in seasons, you could probably find it, but somehow those big alliances started, and it's kind of skewed the way the game gets played, because you said, you know, you get to the back half of a season, and then all hell breaks loose, but for the first half of the season, you know, you're watching guys just go that are either floaters or players who are going to be good players in the game, like a Janelle or a Kaser, or, you know, you could even make the case that Nicole from your season would have probably had a good social game, and you watch these guys go, and it's almost like, now you're going to get down to this final six, final seven here, and who's going to throw the first stone and take a shot, and I mean, I thought Danny was going to do it with Tyler, but now I don't know, and it's kind of crazy. I think it's a matter of just people playing out of fear. I, I think that uh, if you've got an alliance of, of four or five people, well, that sounds great, but if you can add a few more in, then that just makes you that much more safer. And I know, for example, last season I came into the house, and my first milestone was 
just don't get booted on night number one. I don't want to be like Glenn or Steve or some of these the older guys who had very short life uh, lives in, in Big Brother. So, you know, I think there's a lot of people that say, I just don't want to be first. I don't want to be second. Uh, and then you, you've heard here recently people say, oh, I just want to make it to jury. It's, it's all about just making it that first week or two and, and not worrying as much about your end game and the ultimate side of it. And with that in mind, if you can form an alliance of four or five people, then that's probably safer and better for your long-term game. But if you can form an alliance of eight people on night number one, then theoretically that guarantees you that you're going to make it through the first half of the season and you'll, you'll make jury, you're going to have a long time to play the games and have people know who you are. So these people who want to be influencers and social media and all now, they've made their mark and such. And so for all kinds of reasons, I think people are willing to to take on a, an alliance that is too big, that is never going to last to the end. Uh, but they're still willing to do it because they're looking at the short-term goals of at least making it into jury and the first, uh, making it through the first half of the season. See, I think you just 100% hit the nail on the head with the social media thing and the influencer thing. And you don't want people, you know, angry, but you also want a big enough time to build your platform and kind of come out of the house and then have that influencer title. And it seems like, you know, in the past, you have these Janelle Kaser, Keisha, even a Memphis who, you know, they have entirely separate, even Ian, separate lives to Big Brother. I mean, Kaser's involved in biotech stuff. Um, Janelle's a real estate agent. Memphis is involved in restaurants. You know, you have people who have separate lives. But then you look at somebody like Nicole Franzel. I mean, her whole life is Big Brother, essentially, with their podcast. And then you look at, you know, someone like um, Cody, who he did some acting, did some other stuff, but they've used their platforms in the newer school social media era of Big Brother and used it almost to make more money than you may have made winning the show. And I feel like the love of the game has kind of fallen off in a sense because of that. And I feel like I thought this season would be a resurgence of that. And maybe some point it will. But, I mean, what do you stand in that kind of theory? Yeah, now, I, the world has changed from when Big Brother premiered in, in 2000. It's just a, it's a whole different world. Back then, I, I truly think people came on the show. Uh, you played your game, but no one expected anything really to come of it. The, the goal was, I hope I win $500,000. And if I don't, well, it's a fun experience. But as social media has taken off, as, as people who are on that show suddenly have a very minor, you know, D-list celebrity status or whatever, there's a lot more people that are coming in with not that 500000 is a secondary goal. Everyone still, I, I would hope, wants to, to play and win the thing. But I think there's a lot of people that come in on night one thinking about a whole lot of other opportunities they may be able to realize. Uh, if they can just make their mark in the game and, and develop a fan base and all of that. And yeah, I, I had plenty of that last season. I mean, there are people who came in knowing or, or expecting that they were going to be doing commercials and Instagram influencers and everything else that, that we see happen nowadays. So uh, it, because of that, suddenly the objective isn't always 100% focused on winning the 500K. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's just a different world uh, at this point in time. And, um, yeah, I like your comment about the love of the game because I, I, I do agree with that. It's, there's a lot more influences uh, in the game. It's 
it's maybe not quite as pure as it used to be, but that's okay. It's, the game has evolved, and um, and it's funny because I think part of it too is that we maybe don't see quite as much of it with Survivor, but I think it's because Survivor doesn't have the twenty four seven feeds that we do here uh, in Big Brother, and, and with those feeds going on all the time, I I, I think people sometimes can develop tighter connections or uh, or feel like uh, they're they're closer to their favorite people on the in the season which which carries over once they get out of the house and you're looking at at influencers and social media and everything that goes along with it yeah I hundred percent agree on that and now shifting over to some gameplay I have kind of thrown the idea out here and um, I do want to talk about Memphis in a quick sec and his comments recently but from a game standpoint, the four people to me playing the best game right now have been Cody, because he's got Danny and Nicole simply wrapped around his finger, making his yep. decisions for him since he won HOH, as you said. Enzo, because Enzo has kind of been on the outskirts of the Alliance, but also played his own game in a sense. Memphis, because he's in the Alliance, and he won an HOH, took a shot that he really didn't need to take, but he's kind of played it very conservative since. And then David, because David has played it fairly conservative, except for this disruptor power. And now he's kind of aligning with Day and Kevin. And I think that there's maybe some potential there to kind of take some shots at the house, similarly, actually to your guys, Charlie's Angels um, group from last season. So those are kind of my four that I'm watching right now. How about you, if you had to pinpoint like a four right now? Yeah, now that's pretty good. And what's funny is they're all they're all playing such different games uh, in a lot of ways, uh, and yet they're playing their game. Uh, no, I, I think that's good. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. I at one point had said that I thought uh, Bailey and, and Davon were playing a pretty good game, in that they were they were kind of treading the line between Cody's alliances and Tyler's alliances and all that side versus the, the old school side, and I felt like that was a, a decent position to be in, but. Uh, that has turned out not to be the case just because the the the, the, the new school side has consolidated so much power and it's just picking off people one at a time. Uh, but in some ways, I almost feel like Enzo has kind of taken over that role uh, from the two of them in that I see Enzo is, is still in with, with Cody and Tyler and all those guys, but he's also doing a good job of uh, of working with, with Davon and Kevin and David and, and kind of treading the lines uh, everywhere. So, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see what happens to him. The problem is the more you do that, the, the lower you go on the totem pole, I suppose, for uh, for the alliances uh, where you're at. Uh, there was mention last night, him and uh, uh, Christmas and I can't remember who else. Was. They were talking about they were kind of the three expendables uh, within the uh, within the the group, the alliances, and so oh, Memphis was a part of that too, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Memphis. You're right. Memphis and Christmas and Enzo feel like they're the they're kind of the expendable three within the uh, the various alliances on, on that side, and so you've got to be a little careful about that. But no, I like the game Enzo's playing. Memphis, yeah, say say what you will about his <laughs> he's a little gruff and not always real. Uh, he's a little abrasive the way he talks to people and all that, but. Uh, it's an interesting strategy that I'm not staying up all night long. I'm going to bed. I'll let y'all do all your gossip and whispering and everything else and, and just leave me out of it. And uh, He's flying under the radar enough 
uh, that he's doing okay. But I'll tell you, I think the thing that helped Memphis more than anything else was the flexibility that he came into the house saying, I'm I'm old school, but I'm going to go over to these new school guys and see what I can come up with. And maybe that's what Kayser and Janelle just weren't able to achieve, but, but Memphis has been able to do. So I think that has helped his game quite a bit. Uh, and then Cody, you know, Cody just going in and, install, and uh, again, being HOH first week makes this possible, but uh, obviously he's got so many different alliances. He's in every single one of them. Um, the danger with him is, is just the fear that if the other side ever gets power and they're cognizant enough that he is kind of the head of, of everything, uh, he sure seems like uh, would be target number one. And, you know, his side is not going to have the power every single week. So somewhere down the road you would think someone's going to want to take a shot, and, and he certainly has set himself up as target number one. Now, talking, I guess, a little bit about those comments, you know, Memphis had made the abrasive ones, and I've seen you, you've given your input on it, and a lot of uh, former players, Kaser coming out of the house, and Kat actually had a phenomenal post about it. Um, Talking about what Memphis said, because deep down, you know, the same way after talking to Jack last season after the show coming on, I don't think any of these guys are bad people. But I think that, you know, you're in this house and you grow up a certain type of way and you have a certain type of thought process and you deal with a diverse collection of people and you don't know how to handle it. But that in no way gives Memphis the right to say what he said and also gives no way the right for Nicole, Danny, and Cody to sit in there and almost be bystanders and encourage him by laughing and, you know, kind of carrying him on because what he said about Ian was just not right. And it just doesn't sit right with me. And I'm sure you've definitely got a take on what Memphis had said. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I, for the good part is I think that every single one of them, when, when they get out of the house and they're shown some of these clips and a few comments they're made, uh, they're going to be regretful. They're going to, they're going to, you know, feel bad about what was said and, and that it was captured and everything else. So, you know, I, I would feel a lot worse if I thought that any of them were going to come out and say, I don't care, whatever. I, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, you, you, know, you we all have our, our little quirks and, you know, things that, especially when you're in that house 24-7, uh, there's no one that isn't going to do some things that, that start irritating other people in the house. But, you know, Ian, uh, he, he talked earlier in the season, he's, he pointed out himself that he he is somewhere on, on the spectrum and all of that. And so I think you have to be uh, – you shouldn't be making fun of anyone's behaviors to begin with. But, but certainly if uh, if it's something, as, you know, that Ian has, has dealt with, uh, it makes it even less uh, justifiable. I mean, justifiable isn't the right word. It makes it even less proper or acceptable to do. And so, um, again, I think that – they will they will be regretful when they get out, and that's a good thing. Uh, I I would like to see, and I've mentioned this I think uh, once or twice on, on social media, but I have no problem with uh, with the Big Brother producers bringing people in and saying, "Look, you know, you can't do this, guys. You know, that's a, that, that's a bad optics. And it's just not right to be doing what y'all are doing." I would rather have people be told during the season so they can correct their behavior and learn and progress versus just getting hit with it after three months of, of continued, perhaps, behaviors and things like that. And, 
And I've had some people come back and say, yeah, but then you're interfering with the game and, and, and all of that. And that may be, but as a person who's, who's been through a season and, and who realizes that these are real people, no one in there is perfect, I would rather have people have the opportunity to correct their behaviors while they're still in the game uh, rather than just getting hit with it when they come out. But at the end of the day, no, you don't. You don't say those kind of things. You, you don't make fun of anyone, uh, especially uh, when we recognize that, you know, there's, there's, that's, that's Ian. It's something he, he talked about that he dealt with it his first season. And when he got out of the house, he felt bad after seeing comments that people had been making uh, about, you know, the rocking, some of the things he does. Uh, so realizing that Ian is going to see those comments eventually uh, is, you know, you shouldn't be saying that. But also, there's a lot of people out in this world who have loved ones, family members and such that are that are on the spectrum that, uh, you know, that they're going to feel a little worse when they see people uh, joking and mocking on it as well. So uh, you shouldn't do it. But beyond all of that, as I said, I've met Ian before, and if if people are so focused on, on these little quirks and, and behaviors and, and things like that, if they're so focused on that and they're, they're, they're concentrating on talking about that and joking about it, it makes it that much less likely they're going to get to know the person beyond those quirks. And, and Ian is such an amazing guy and so full of insight and analysis. I am amazed watching him play this game. Some of the things he's been able to pick up on and recognize, uh, just his analysis is phenomenal. And people, if they're so busy laughing at, at the fact that he rocks on a hammock, uh, they're going to miss out on, on some of the, the knowledge that he absolutely has, and that's their loss. They're, they'll pay the price for that. Cliff, I, I don't know if there's another question or thought I can even add to that because I think you just said that mm, incredibly eloquently because you hit every nail. I mean, Memphis, what he said was not right. There's also, you know, the kind of theory that maybe you should show them what they're saying and a way of correcting it, but then does it influence the game? But most importantly, Ian is a person and a phenomenally smart person and engaging. And I I think he, if he gets the opportunity, which I hope he does to play this game longer, I think he would really, really show the rest of the house guests that but even after what he said it's just not right what they said but i hope that ian not only continues even if he doesn't play this game any longer but continues to live his life and foster those good relationships with people who actually care enough to consider his feelings like a caser like you you know genuinely good-hearted people and not people who are just gonna i guess disrespect it in a sense yeah it's uh it's unfortunate. I, I'll just leave it at that. I, I have tried as much as possible to stay positive because I do understand that you get in that house, you're, you get paranoid. You're, everyone you think may have a, may be targeting you, and uh, it's easy to get so wrapped up in the game that that sometimes you you forget or, or you I don't know, you, you just get kind of the the mean girls mentality sometimes that. Uh, you know, as, as long as you're with other people that that you think may have your back, you're willing to put up with stuff, and I, it's unfortunate. And it's just a lot of stress in the house that leads to behaviors that aren't always uh, appropriate. Um, but but I also have always tried to separate the person from the game, and 
and that includes behavior in the game from from the rest of life because it is it's just uh, being under a magnifying glass the, the way you are um it makes it difficult but as i said at the beginning i i don't think that any of these people are mean people they just have exhibited some behaviors that need some corrections and as long as they learn and are regretful then then i'm certainly willing to I 100% agree. Now, before we close out, uh, two quick questions for you. One, if you had to pinpoint one person to win, you know, we talked about our four, but if you have to give one prediction as of today, who wins Big Brother Season 22 All-Stars? Well, <laughs> having played with David, I, I would love to see someone like David just completely surprise people and, and do something. And I think there's a path that he could do that. But if I was a betting man, Cody's got such a big target on his back, uh, but I still think he has consolidated enough power um, and people seem willing to support him even though he is such a big threat. I, he's he's got to be the odds-on favorite at this point in time, I would think, to, to take this thing. Uh, you get someone like Enzo, I think Enzo could easily make a, a final two or three, but I don't think he makes it to the very end. But now here's the thing to think about, and I, I've talked about this before. There are a lot of huge egos in that house, and I don't think anyone is going to take kindly to being evicted when they think they are on pretty firm ground. And if there was ever a season where I could see a bitter jury coming in and awarding a, uh, a winner that, that maybe didn't play the best game but just didn't make as many people upset, I could see it being this season. And so that kind of throws the whole do-loop into the equation. Cody's got all these alliances. Are, are, is he going to have enough people upset at the end that they're going to they're going to give this thing to to Enzo or David or someone else just because they're a bitter jury? And I think that's a possibility. I completely agree. Now, Cliff, before we close out, I do want to give you the opportunity to promote. You are doing some really cool stuff right now covering Big Brother. First being your Cliff Notes kind of talking about the feeds the day after. Can you kind of elaborate that and also elaborate on your BB Breakdown shows on TV Co.? Yeah, absolutely. I've been doing, I'm, I'm up to episode 33 or so on the TV Co. app. A free app you can download it and then go out there and find me. I do that every Monday night. 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. Uh, we just talked for an hour. I, I've done travel stories and just life in general along with Big Brother in the past. But right now during the Big Brother season, it's, it's pretty much all Big Brother. But uh, people can ask questions. It's very interactive. So I've been having fun doing that. But, yeah, the new thing I've been doing, which is a lot of fun, is uh, actually watching the, the live feeds every night. And then uh, 4.30 or so Houston time, I'll, I'll sit down. And uh, once the house guests are in bed, I'll, I'll do a quick little video and I know there's other people out there that are doing deep dives and hour-plus type broadcasts on, on everything that happened overnight. I'm trying to limit mine to 15 minutes only so people can listen while they're getting ready for work, while they're driving to work, things like that. So it's a very short, you know, 15-minute summary of all the key conversations and such that took place. And uh, I'm broadcasting that on, on my Instagram account, so, so follow me on Instagram at cliff.hog. Uh, but I also have a YouTube channel. Uh, and so you can find me on YouTube, and if you go out there, please subscribe. You'll get the notifications and such. And so, yeah, I'm doing that every morning, and it's a real battle to try to wait till the house guests go to bed and yet still go ahead and get that thing out the door before people like you over on the East Coast are, are getting ready uh, for work and, and things like that. Because these house guests stay up late. I, uh, 
I had someone ask me, so when do you sleep, Cliff? I said, I don't know, I guess, I guess November. <laughs> uh, not, not getting a whole lot of it right now, but now it's a labor of love. Uh, the reality is if I wasn't doing these, uh, these little wrap-ups, I'd still be watching the feeds because I've just always been a huge live feeds fan. But, yeah, so, so every, uh, every morning, 15-minute wrap-up of all the key points that happened overnight. So you need the information, you need to talk to your buddies at work around the, the coffee maker, things like that. Ladies and gentlemen, before we close out, Cliff, I want to give you a quick opportunity to answer a question that I've kind of added to my slate of questions. You know, I think I asked you last time about your legacy, but this time, maybe an even more important question. So, Mr. Hogg, if you could be any kind of boat, what boat would you be? Oh, any kind of boat, huh? How about a pontoon boat? Because a pontoon boat, not the fastest in the world, but it, it, it's reliable. A lot of people can, can get on board. You got all, you have a lot more room for people to celebrate and just have fun and come together. Uh, you can pull a water skier behind it, but you can also do a little bit of bass fishing. So you got full flexibility. So yeah, I'll go, I'll go for the slightly less flashy, but a lot more, uh, practical pontoon boat. Ladies and gentlemen, it, he is a absolute stand-up guy. You can catch him on TV Co. You can catch him wherever on YouTube under Cliff Hogg, on Instagram, Cliff Hogg. He is an absolutely phenomenal human. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, Cliff Hogg. Thanks again, man. My pleasure, Dylan. I appreciate it. I'll just finish up by saying SKD 143. <laughs> Whether you're a Super Bowl champion, reality TV show star on Big Brother, American Idol singer, or even an MLB All-Star, you know hydration is key. And so does Liquid IV, the newest sponsor of Ambitious. They know how important hydration and energy is, and that's why they've developed special supplements to get you three times more hydrated for every packet you use. So one packet of Liquid IV, to me, is three bottles of water. And Liquid IV not only gets you more energized, more hydrated, but it keeps you motivated and disciplined. And especially in times like these where a lot of us are working from home, doing school from home, working out at home, Liquid IV can keep you energized, rejuvenated, and hydrated no matter what you do. Go to liquidiv.com or Liquid IV wherever you can find them on social medias and find out more about their superb hydration formulas. Now back to the show. Once again, want to thank Cliff Hogg for coming on Ambitious. It's always a pleasure to sit down with him. Such a great guy, really. Off air, on air, he is an incredible human and so thankful that I've been able to chat with him and pick his brain about Big Brother on air, off air, and just a great guy and excited for everything he's got coming up with TV Co. and as the Big Brother season wears on. So check out some of his work as I referenced uh, before Liquid IV just aired. Check out Liquid IV. Check out the monologue show this Saturday, Friday, and Sunday. Wrong order, but you get the point going to be a great show and check out ambitious wherever you listen to podcasts on instagram ambitious with dp or it's ambitious with dp on twitter and instagram it's at ambitious podcast but you know it's ambitious with dylan price wherever you look it up you'll be able to find us and we'll be back next week with an incredible monster return episode another returning guest it's going to be a big one have a great week ambitious listeners